from Harry Brown's Farm, Starks, Maine, where there is music in the cafe at night and revolution in the air. Dig at harryshill.net and Facebook Harry Brown's Farm. Midsummer! Not possible! Also, not funny. Depressing, right? That's why you're going to check out the Comedy Hour, where funny is ageless. The GQ Top Comedians list says Louis C.K. is the man. We agree. Seriously, if you're not white, you're missing out, because this is thoroughly good. Not far down the list is John Oliver. Bingo! Right on! Yeah. China is, for some reason, absolutely obsessed with friends. We'll have more from the GQ Top list, plus the start of a new series... Bob and Ray's Mary Backstage Noble Wife. You need to go to the doctor, Calvin, for that? Oh, yes, I... Yes, I'm very weak. I was in shock. All this and more, Monday morning at 9 on The Comedy Hour! Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation partnering with donors and nonprofits to strengthen Maine's economy by focusing on education, leadership, and quality of place. On the web at maincf.org. The time's 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard, is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, more than a century ago, if people wanted to experience the wider world and weren't wealthy, they might immerse themselves in between the pages of books and newspapers from a local public library. Now, in a world awash in media and new technology, what's the role of local public libraries and who will support them into the next century? And we're happy to have some folks in the studio who can help us discuss those questions. Um, welcome to Keith Goldfarb. Keith is the treasurer of the Henry D. Moore Parish House and Library in Stuben. Welcome, Keith. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, Keith has brought with him uh, LaVon Bartell, who's on the endowment committee for the Moore Library. Welcome to you, LaVon. Good to see you, Ron. And we should say that uh, LaVon was my former um, employer, I guess you could say, um, at Cooperative Extension. Both of us happily retired and uh, uh, um, doing things like this. And then I'm um, glad to have Jill Weber uh, back with us. Uh, she is the uh, vice president of the board of the Jessup Memorial Library in Bar Harbor. Welcome to you, Jill. 
Thanks, Ron. Good morning. Um, first, let's get a little bit of background. Um, all of you have some Stuben um, connections, I understand today. Stuben is the center of the universe, the known universe. We know that. Um, but uh, all of you have some connections. So first, um, perhaps start with Keith. Tell a little bit about yourself and how you kind of came to Stuben and, and uh, what, what your connection to sure. the library is. Um, yeah, well, I've been in Stuben for about 25 years, I guess now, 26 years. It's time flies. Mm. Um, just moved up the coast, you know, looking uh, to get away from the urban, suburban experience and uh, actually apprenticed on farms in Maine as kind of my first introduction to rural living. Really loved it. Um, went away for a little while, but came back and settled in Stuben and have been uh, getting more and more feeling uh, rooted in the community since then. Um, I've always been fairly community minded, I think, thanks to uh, my parents. And so as soon as I kind of settled in town, got involved with various town committees and stuff like that. And uh uh, a neighbor of mine uh, asked me uh, if I wanted to serve on the board when an, an opening came in, and um, I gladly agreed because uh, I love libraries. And um, so that was over 17 years ago, so it's been a long, long trip, and it's been great. I really wholeheartedly believe in the institution and the community. It's an incredible community, and uh, I feel the library serves an incredible role there. And um, and I've been the treasurer just because, for me, numbers come very easily, and for a lot of other people... So glad to have someone else take care of that role. So um, it's been a good one. And also, I feel it helps me to really keep the library on track because that is, as we'll discuss later today, a, a real constant challenge for libraries, small town libraries especially, is there's so much that we could do that we'd love to do. And often the limiting factor is funding and to make sure that you keep your program in line with your funding so that you can be sustainable. Right. And uh, so happy to do it. Levon, you, you, um, as you thought about retirement, you and your husband David um, chose Stuben. What, what attracted you to the, the, the world of Stuben? Well, certainly we're very rural people. We grew up rural. We've lived a variety of places, including Los Angeles, a major urban area. And we started to understand that um, being in a sense of community like we grew up in was going to be important to our uh, joy in retirement. Then also we live on Joy Bay, and since we love sea kayaking, uh, it's like the natural environment for doing that. And we are very interested in fisheries, and we get to watch those on a daily basis based on the lobstermen and clamors and wormers and everybody who is out off the property that's uh, intriguing about water resource use in Maine. So basically it just was one of those places where everything came together. And did you um, early get in, in uh, into the library, the, the Henry D. Moore how, uh, Parish House and Library? How, how did that come about? Well, it probably didn't happen quite as fast as uh, it should have because we were so uh, busy trying to build a house and sort of do the grounds because we're lunatic master gardeners. So, you know, you have to do a lot of gardening. Yes. But um, my sister came and visited. And because we didn't have high-speed internet in our household, and she comes from the Seattle, Washington area where you can't imagine life without high-speed internet, uh, we could say, well, the library has that. And so she and her husband went and they said, you know, that's really a nifty place. Um, we're surprised you haven't been there. And it was sort of like, well, that's probably an oversight on our part. And once we got there, we found so many fine people, volunteers, and uh, committed to the community. But the librarian is one of the glue of the library, too. Her name's Jeannie. And uh, she's just one of those people every Monday morning, David and I work in the basement, uh, recycling books with Jeannie and some other community members, and it's just about the joy of being with others. 
Great. And uh, Jill, Jill Weber, um, you first your, your connection to Stu Ben, so that people understand that, and then we'll talk about your connection to Bar Harbor and the Jessup Library. But you and Keith share an employer. We do share an employer. We both work at the Eagle Hill Institute. We're journal editors there of natural history journals. Um, so I have each day is a day of contrasts because I start out in Bar Harbor and in the in the the life that happens there, and then I go around the bay. And by the time I get to Steuben, I've transitioned to a a very different environment. And I work on top of a hill in the woods all day, and then at night it's back to Bar Harbor to see what's happening in that uh, den of activity. <laughs> and you're both on the Conservation Commission, where I've um, um, enjoyed your work there, but also on the Jessup Library Board. What attracted you to those kinds of, of, of activities? Well, as Keith said, we, we share, I think we share um, parents' Who, who were active in community. and I, well, we I, don't have the same parents. We don't have the same <laughs> parents, but we, we share the history of, uh, you know, he mentioned that his parents kind of modeled community involvement, yeah. and, and mine did as well. But, uh, but that is what got me into the library. Mm. Having a toddler and being uh, not working, being at home with that toddler got me into the library in Bar Harbor. And uh, it happened soon after we moved there in 1980, 1997. And I walked in with a three-year-old not knowing anyone in town, and the children's librarian came and, and knelt down next to my daughter and said, now who do we have here, and who's this with you? And I was immediately drawn into the community. Mm. Um, that that was my first connection in Bar Harbor, and, and they drew us all in. Um, I started with the library as uh, working with the Young Readers Group. Uh, that group tries to raise money for children's library services. And then I became a board member, and then I became the board vice president, and, and so I'm my connection has gotten stronger and stronger over time. Mm. Well, let's go back to, to Keith and ask um, uh, Keith to describe some of the, the how, would, how would we know the, the Keith D. Moore Parish House and Library? What would we see as we um, entered the building, and, and what, what's going on inside? Yeah, okay. Um, well, the, the Moore Library and uh, is located fairly centrally in town, right across the street from the uh, elementary school, the grade school and uh, right in front of the uh, oldest and largest uh, cemetery in town, um, not far from the town office. So it's, it's, it's right in the, the right by the town green, kind of um, very appropriately in the heart of the community because it has been for a long time. Um, the building, it was built in 1911 um, by um, Henry D. Moore, who was, uh, grew up in Steuben, went away, made a fortune in actually mostly the tobacco and banking industries, and wanted to do something to show his appreciation for his hometown, mm-hmm. and he still had family back there and his sister. And so he uh, realized that a library and community center is so vital um, for a town, and so he um, had it built for the town, endowed it. His sister actually worked as the first librarian for a mm-hmm. while. Um, but it's a two-story, um, classic uh, wooden structure, clabbered building, looks like a classic New England uh, building, uh, grand, but not in a grandiose kind of way. You know, it's, it's got 10 and 12 foot ceilings, so you go in it's a sense of space, and it's very nice woodwork, you know, uh, wainscoting and stuff, but not super elegant. It's, uh, you know, moderately stated, but it's still you go in there, and we get comments all the time about what a really warm feeling it is and um, just how welcoming, how 
it's it's just such a nice space, which creates the ambiance. And uh, the library has always been on the second floor. And downstairs, there's a number of meeting rooms that have always been in use for the community, uh, a large stage room for assemblies and performances and such, a kitchen for meals and things that can be made, a lot of smaller meeting rooms. Um, and then upstairs is several rooms that comprise the library. Um, and so when people go in... Um, Usually there's a bunch of activities going on. It's not uncommon that most days something in addition to the library is happening there. Um, so you enter, and um, let me first say that in uh, this past decade, uh, due to code um, upgrades, uh, it turned out the fire and safety codes, the, the original building no longer met what was considered modern safety standards. So um, after being lenient on us for a long time, the fire marshal eventually said, you really got to do something. We're going to have to close you down. Uh, of course, not really wanting to close us down, but it spurred us on to do a, a big capital campaign. And we did a big um, building project addition that allowed us to have uh, the fire and safety uh, concerns met and also increase the space for the library and new, new meeting rooms and accessibility for all. It was not handicap accessible previous to that. Um, so now when you walk in, you'll actually walk into the new addition part. There's a really nice foyer space where there's a meeting uh, a bulletin board that lets you know of all upcoming events, not only for the library, but in the community in general. Um, and then depending if you've got something that you're going to, some of the meeting rooms come right off that, or you can head up either the elevator or the stairs to the library. Um, initially there, Jeannie has set out uh, some of the excess materials that are free for the taking, some magazines and things, because uh, it's really all about getting resources to the community members. Um, and then you walk in, and when you first walk in, there's the librarian's desk with Jeannie there, and she is incredibly helpful. Uh, she really bends over backwards to meet the needs of the community. She's always uh, tailoring her collection additions to what um, the wishes and requests are of the community. Uh, doing lots of interlibrary loans for when we, our large collection doesn't happen to have something somebody's interested in. Um, and then there's a children's section. There's a place for public use computers. Um, there's a nice seating, a couple of large oak tables that have been there since, I think, the beginning of, of the library, <laughs> beginning of time, uh, that people can sit around and the, the, right near the uh, journal section. And uh, also the stacks are generally in uh, older either the original wooden shelving or stuff we've had uh, built to match it. Since then, we've wanted to expand the shelving. And there's even in the back, uh, one of the rooms is what we call the ladies' parlor. Back back when, there was a student sidewalk society that was committed to, you know, I don't know, the couple of hundred feet of sidewalk that Stuben had, but they were, you know, committed to seeing that during those muddy times before there were ever paved roads that there was a place that people could walk and not get their shoes all muddy. And I never... And uh, and so out of that, they had their own room in this building um, that they met and also did other town functions support. And that room has now since, while the Sidewalk Society has since disbanded, um, uh, it's now the kind of the home of the uh, Student Historical Society, which also uses the building um, appropriately enough. And so they have materials there and they also uh, meet there. Um, so there's a place that you can also go and sit quietly as mm -hmm. well. So it's a, a mix of spaces, very warm uh, environment, very friendly. Um, and that's and, the way and like Stuben, it. um, it's not a large population. What's the population? No, Stuben is about a little, year-round, a little over 1,000 by okay. the last census. It significantly increases in the summertime, probably to more like 1,200, 1,500. Um, but it's, it's, no, it's not a big town. Uh, but, the, but the Stuben Library is actually for such a small town. 
it's a fairly large library. The collection is over ten thousand. The space it's 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 a bigger space and a bigger collection than a lot of the other towns around. So we get people coming from. We don't only service Stuban. Actually, right. we have uh, you know probably hundreds of people have library cards that are in the surrounding towns. So we consider our service area kind of Western Washington Hancock, Eastern uh, Western Washington Eastern Hancock counties, um, and we certainly to our events that we hold. We also get people coming in there. Sure. And, uh, and that's another way that, you know, I mentioned that had those meeting rooms. When Henry D. Moore um, had this built, I think he, he was kind of a, a visionary in terms of um, seeing that it wasn't just a library, but combining a library with a community center, which a lot of libraries are doing these days, and it's, it's, it's a natural fit. But ever since the beginning, it was seen as not just a place where people come and get books and, right. and read, which is, when I say just, I mean, that's a huge service, and it's awesome. But there was always the idea that it's, a community space, and we continue that today. And a lot of programs um, happen there, both programs that we initiate and also invite the community to come and use the space. And so things happen on all different levels there. Great. Well, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about community support for libraries. You've just heard from Keith Goldfarb, who's the treasurer of the Henry D. Moore Parish House and Library in Stu Bend. And uh, now I'd like uh, Jill Weber to give us uh, kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of the Jessup Library, which probably um, is about 100 years ago, old, um, just like uh, uh, the Moore uh, facility. Um, guide us through that if you, if you could. Well, you're right. We celebrated our centennial in 2011. Um, Maria K. Jessup, or Maria DeWitt Jessup, built the library in memory of her husband, Morris K. Jessup, who was a banker um, and philanthropist. Uh, When he died in uh, 1908, she wanted to do something um, in his memory, and she wanted people to be uh, grateful for all he had done. and, And so this is kind of a a memorial. It is kind of. It is a memorial to him. Um, it's a brick building, and the first space that you enter is a rotunda, which I think really um, fits with the character of what has been created and what we continue to create there, um, because it's a round space. And our feeling at the Jessup is that everyone is equal there. Everyone's welcome. It doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, you're physically able, you're physically limited. You're, it doesn't matter. We're all welcome. We're all um, able to do things there. And so that circular space just sort of there's no, there's no right, no left. Mm. Everyone enters that round space. And um, on one part of that circle, uh, uh, the children's area opens off. It's, it's bright. It's sometimes noisy. It's not my grandmother's library. Um, <laughs> there is not a lot of whispering. Um, so sometimes it's noisy, sometimes it's quiet. On another part of the circle is the periodicals room. There are a lot of um, comfortable seats in there. Many people come to just read for mm. a little time or a lot of time. And then straight ahead is our main room, um, which is wood-dominated. Um, the original oak shelving, our stacks are built in. Uh, most of our collection is around the perimeter walls. Uh, There are several alcoves in the main building. And as you stand, come through the rotunda into the main room, um, at the far end of the library is a sort of a towering Palladian window. And on a sunny day like this, light would be streaming in through that window. And um, Two favorite chairs right there. And there are two favorite chairs (laughs) right there. Um, 
And and so um, the the library um, has has uh, grown and changed probably in the time that you've been there. What are some of the, the things that you've seen um, evolve um, or beginning to evolve? Well, it hasn't physically grown, um, but it continues to uh, increase in capacity. Um, I said that there isn't a lot of whispering there, and some nights when you, sometimes when you go to the library, we do, we do not have cur- uh, community rooms at present, but we host a lot of events and a lot of groups, and so some nights when you're there, um, there will be a knitting group meeting in the periodicals room. There's a group of writers who recently have been meeting in the children's room. There might be an author's program in the main room, and then there are still the libraries open, so there are still um, patrons coming in to get books. Uh, so our programming has increased probably within the last five years, it's increased 300%. Um, we are a place where a lot of groups like to um, host their own events because people are very comfortable there. There are some spaces where um, people don't feel that they belong, but it seems like at the Jessup they do. And so um, there was recently a group looking to develop some group housing for adult disabled people, um, developmentally disabled people, and they said, well, the Jessup is a neutral space. We'd really like to use that. And so there have been many groups like that Mm -hmm. recently. So we just... The house um, keeps getting bigger in intention, if not physically. So, how are you supported? Um, I'll start um, with Jill, and, and uh, what's you know the, the basic budget, and how does uh, that's the uh, the expense side, and then what's the income side look like? Uh, just just a, um, no, you don't have to give details, but what's the general support base? Well, we are um, a private library. That, that functions as a public library. Um, so we do get some town funding, but it amounts to less than 5% of our, our total revenue. Um, and many of our patrons find that surprising. Many still don't know. Um, so 5% from the town. Um, Maria K. Jess or Maria Duita Jessup did not just build the library. Um, When she built the library, she also endowed it because she did want it to be lasting. And the endowment has supported us for the first 100 years and um, continues to be very important to us. Um, About almost 50% of our funding comes from endowment, Um, a little bit from grants, and then the rest through the generosity of of friends and patrons. Mm. And Keith, what's the, the support base for um, your library? Yeah, it's it's going to be similar in terms of that we're also an independent nonprofit. Um, we've always been a public library, the town library, but um, not officially run by the town. And uh, the town, however, um, now it also does contribute. They do appropriate money annually, which is great. Um, for a long time, they didn't. Uh, we were endowed as well originally. And um, that seemed to satisfy the needs, or I should say the, the local advisory board kind of lived within that means for a while. Um, when I first came on the board, however, uh, expenses, as they have for all of us, grew for the library so that we were, we were running in the red a little bit. So we realized we had to do something. And we also realized that at that point, the library was only open, I think, like 12 hours a week. So we thought this, it, it really could be servicing more. Um, so we did a combination of, of 
rearranged the endowment investments, which yielded more, um, got a lot more active with our fundraising. I don't think the board had done a lot of mm. fundraising prior to that. Um, and then eventually uh, we did approach the town and uh, asked for an annual appropriation, and we still do it at every town meeting. So that right now what we're looking at is um, the uh, endowment yields about 20% perhaps of our uh, funding uh, another 14% has come from other grants that we uh, get and apply for. Um, we are service as the uh, local library for the school, which lives across the street. Their uh, library kind of fell in disrepair, and rather than build a new one, they said, why duplicate resources? We've got this great library across the street. It also encourages the kids to get out of the school, commingle with other community members. Other community members get to see the kids. It's just a great thing all the way around, uh, gets them excited. Um, and we formalized that arrangement with the contract with the RSU, so that, that gives another, like, 7%. Um, town appropriation is about 16%. And then the rest comes from fundraisers. We do an annual appeal. Um, and oh, and we also do some program revenue, too. Uh, we, uh, we have uh, selling books both through book sales, the excess books when, when library collections get weeded. Um, and also our librarian has, has wholeheartedly entered the uh, internet world and, and really seems to um, get a kick out of finding market over the internet and doing web sales and actually very successful at that. So through those kind of program sales as well as, as, well as uh, through usage of the building for private functions, we uh, charge for it. Actually, the last couple of years we started doing charging a very minimal amount, but just to help cover expenses, even the public nonprofit. Um, and so building usage, that adds up to about another 12%. So it's a, it's a, we like to keep a healthy mix right. of uh, feeling that for the long run. Because as we've known, you can see in uh, other towns around here, sometimes when times get hard, uh, if you're relying solely on town or significant town appropriation, there can be years where they're suddenly feeling pretty tight-fisted and decide not to give you so much. And, and yet when you've got employees and you want to be able to keep things consistent for them, um, it's important to, to have a stable income base. Mm. Yeah. Well, you've, uh, you've all kind of set the stage for, um, that, and I can imagine that listeners um, this morning um, connect to their own libraries and think about their own library's uh, service in the community, what that core service is, and then the question I think we're, we're c- coming to is, what's the library of the future, and how do you expand your capacity, uh, financial capacity, to be that library of the future? And both uh, both libraries in this case have a sense of, of what that future looks like and a sense of how to get there. So we'll uh, turn to that in, in a moment, but I'll just remind listeners, they're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. Um, we're talking about community support for library libraries. Um, uh, LeVon Bartell is part of the endowment campaign at the Henry D. Moore Parish House and Library. I'm getting that get, getting that phrase down. Um, <laughs> and Keith Goldfarb is the treasurer of, of that library. And uh, uh, they're joined by Jill Weber, who is the vice president of the board for the Jessup Memorial Library in Bar Harbor. So what do you envision the, the library of the future to look like? Uh, Levon, you've probably got some thoughts about that. What, what, how, how would you want the library of, of the future to be in, in Stuben? Well, my view is the uh, Henry D. Moore uh, Parish House and Library is the future, mm. and that's what's really exciting. It's, uh, it fits my value of a diversified portfolio for stability. It has a diversified portfolio of participants and human beings that come and use it. It has programming in many areas. 
and it has uh, the assets that people need for access to information, whether they be books, DVDs, uh, the internet, uh, and it has been uh, evaluated informally by a person who's big in libraries as sort of surprising that a small town like Stuben would be so much in the future. And it has to really understand that to be here 100 years from now, we have to keep moving along with society. And that's what I'm really proud about, of that particular parish house and library, is that um, people who are unemployed come in, use the Internet, and it's almost a necessity in working with the main uh, Department of Labor these days to get your unemployment. Uh, it has people who have lived in the community all their lives and are uh, many, many generations from the past uh, interacting with newcomers like David and I and uh, enriching our world experience by our discussions of uh, who we are, where we've lived, what our family does, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And it has a board that has really uh, been willing to uh, span those uh those multiple realities in a way that welcomes newcomers to the uh, community to enter in, participate, become involved, and um, understand that uh, we can't take any of these things for granted. In a society where needs far uh, exceed uh, the assets society has, we have to be selective and prioritize uh, what we do. And I think uh, community presence is the priority of the future. Mm-hmm. The whole of technology has made people feel more separate and sometimes be more separate. If you're on a college campus, you're actually surprised people talking their phones to each other walking down the street. <laughs> and um, it just gives people that enrichment of human experience. And so I think we are the future and we will continue to evolve as a part of the future. Mm. And how, how about you, Jill? What what um, you've had discussions on the library board, got a strategic plan, um, and so you you have a sense of the direction you're heading. And then you've also uh, take advantages, uh, had taken advantage of, of a property coming available to you um, next door. So talk a little bit about the future that you envision. Yeah, um, well, like Levon, I feel like we, as a library, are are at least staying with the community, if not leading. And we think of ourselves as the the anchor to the past and charting the future. And I know with every decision I make on the board, I am keenly aware of of those who have come before me for the first hundred years. Um, But I'm also, all of us on the board are looking forward and we see ourselves becoming the new town square. Um, It's where people are meeting. And people who aren't involved in other community activities are still coming to the library. And some of them are trying to multitask. So rather than sitting with their children in the in the children's room, maybe the kids are looking for books on their own for a while while the adults are using the Internet or getting books or getting a DVD. But it's still the place where everyone meets. And we want it to be a place where people can just come and be. Maybe they won't even be getting books. Mm. Maybe they'll just be sitting in a chair. Maybe they'll be chatting with friends. We th- we th- see our library as the new town meeting place, the new mm. town square. Um, and as I said, we just keep adding and adding as 
we see needs as people express needs, we want to accommodate them. Um, we want to let people try things in the library and see if they work, and if they do, keep them going, and if not, try something new. Um, we see the library being a place where there will be increased collaboration, and we want to create a space where people can create on their own, create together. Um, maker spaces are becoming common all over the world, and, and 3D printing and, and some of those technologies have uh, great potential, and we want to make things like that accessible. So we've, we had been having this feeling for quite a while that we needed to expand, but we are in downtown Bar Harbor, and there's a, there are streets on two sides of us and uh, a historic building on one side and a less historic building on the other, and so our, our capacity to physically grow was limited. However, uh, the property on one side of us became available um, due to a retirement, and we had, as a board, had lengthy discussions, and we all had many nights of wakefulness, I'm sure, um, because we knew that this was likely a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, that this there was only one lot adjacent lot that would ever become available, and if we didn't uh, take this opportunity, we would probably live to regret it. So a few years ago, we purchased the property next door, and and that really launched us on plans to expand the building. Mm. And that um, building is now used as a um, kind of a subsidy, a used bookstore? I did not mention that in our revenue stream, but um, when you come to Bar Harbor, listeners, you will be pleased <laughs> to see secondhand prose right next to the Jessup Library. It's a used bookstore. Um Many good books, many comfortable chairs to uh, in which to sit and have a cup of tea. And uh, so secondhand prose has become established in that building until we finalize our pl- plans. Mm. So both of you, both uh, institutions, uh, envision um, expanding your capacity um, through some kind of capital campaign. And you've got each got different different ways, but you're building the case for that now. And, and uh, in the case of the um, Henry D. Moore Parish House and Library, you're about to go public. So tell us a little bit about the, the, the rationale for a, a capital campaign, an endowment campaign. Sure. Um, yeah, well, as LaVon said, we really feel... We are uh, laying the groundwork for the future and right now are, in fact. It's not like the future is going to be very different. It's going to almost be just a trajectory, keeping sure. going where we're at right now. Um, and the interesting thing is, I mean, because a lot of people ask, well, come on, in this Internet age, you've got in- information everywhere. Why would you need a library? And the interesting thing is when you look at statistics, and we've been probably for at least half a dozen years been keeping statistics the state encourages at the state library network. Um, and the interesting thing is, this town population hasn't grown much, but usage annually is seen double-digit growth in almost all aspects of use. Mm. Um, accessions, inter, you know, computer use. Um, our programs are getting much more used. Uh, you know, we keep offering programs and people come. Um, so clearly, there's a strong appreciation for what's being offered, uh, which, if anything, says no libraries are more important than ever now. Um, and the other interesting thing was when the uh, economic recent economic crisis hit in 2008, we also saw an incredible spike 
in uh, usage in the library, which also says, well, when times get tough, resources that the library makes available are going to be all the more important. So it becomes even more critical that in the future, as kind of a protection against when times, there's always going to be ups and downs, that it's kind of a safety net, that when times are tough, people can't afford to do as much on their own. So something shared resources like the library offers are all the more critical. So um, that was kind of a reassuring for those of us who work for the library that what we do is, is, is truly important. And, and, um, and the final trend, which is interesting, is you know the whole technology trend. Um, well, in addition to the fact that we're seeing more of our regular print books being taken out than ever before, over 11,000 uh, accessions last year in our small library, um, so people still value the print copy. But we're also, we now offer ebooks and we offer the internet usage, and that is increasing. So just, it's almost like rather than replacing, it's just adding on. So we're still mm-hmm. providing the valuable services we provided all these hundreds of years, but now there's all these new technologies that it also makes sense in a library setting to offer to many people. Um, in Steuben, there's still many parts of town that you can't get DSL um, internet. And so it still is a very important resource for people to have. And as new technologies uh, come on, like Jill mentioned the 3D printing, there's things that are going to be don't make sense for everybody to get on their own. Right. And so for a library to offer them on a group setting um, makes sense, not only financially, but also when you offer things in a group setting, uh, what's been discussed here is the connections. It brings people together. When they come together to use something, they come together. They meet. You get to meet your neighbors. Where else are you meeting your neighbors? There's less opportunities these days, especially as technology has made our lives so much more fragmented. We do so much more, are able to do so much more from our homes, uh, individually, um, that uh, people are communicating via devices so much more, and yet we're still very social beings. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity to actually come together face-to-face, things happen that they would never happen when you're having phone conversations or you're social media, uh, using social media to interact with, uh, with others. Um, so magic happens, and that's always going to be a need. Um, and the library is a logical place mm. to help satisfy that need. So perhaps each of you could tell me about the steps you've used to kind of get to this point in, in, in envisioning an endowment campaign and, yeah. and, and make the case. Um, yeah. And then we'll ask Jill for some similar things, and then we'll open up our phone lines but yeah. br- briefly. No, and just to get yeah, – yeah, sorry being a little long-winded no. about that. But, um, yeah, so basically the idea is that what we're doing seems to be working well. We need to keep doing it. There is this response, so – Obviously, if we could be doing even more, I think it would be a strong benefit. But we don't want to extend beyond what our existing financial capacity is. We have an all-volunteer board. They're very hardworking, but there's only so much they could be expected to to raise on volunteer activities, fundraisers every year. So the logical step is to try to increase our endowment so that there's a sustainable extra income. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking to add $500,000 to our endowment so that we could be open instead of right now we're about half-time open for the library, go more towards full-time, and also be able to uh, offer the additional programming that seems that there's a strong demand for. Um, so that's that's kind of the impetus behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're hopeful we'll be successful so that we continue to serve the community. And, Levon, what's most compelling about that case for you and, and perhaps some of your contemporaries? You mentioned being a retiree, recent retiree. What do you imagine um, might attract them to be participating in this campaign? Well, certainly the library is what attracts them and the community. But there, there are a number of people that are uh, in Radio Land and across Maine, like me, that have come to love Maine and the community we sit in. 
And some of us uh, being first generation college students that actually had a fairly successful career find ourselves at a stage in life where we know we're going to die. We can't take it with us and we would like to leave it to something that has real value in our life and resonance that it could serve the public of the future. Uh, and so uh, a person like me saw universities becoming much more astute in understanding development and foundations. And when we go out and live in the community uh, like Stuben, we say, well, why wouldn't we want asset management where we could assure that the future of something that's so important in our lives might go on? So that's how I got involved with the endowment committee. It was just like a no-brainer. If I'm going to put my energy somewhere, uh, it's in assuring that uh, resources that I've gained over my lifetime get deployed somewhere that matters to me. And I think that's what the first philanthropist did mm. and that you now have another uh, age of philanthropy that's potential, baby boomers, but very often they're not really quite sure which organizations will carry on their vision and their mission uh into the future. And so they're becoming quite selective as uh, most of us went through a phase where we sort of donated $25 to everybody that asked to a, uh, maybe I should be a little more focused and give a slightly greater resource that will assure something really going on. So for me, that's the, uh, that's the reason I'm heavily involved in encouraging the endowment because I think there are the people that uh, aspire to have something sustainable mm. and some Something grounded in environmentalism, uh, recycling, reuse, uh, sharing, all of those things. So your values are put to work not only in your lifetime but beyond your lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. Jill, where are you in, in, the, in the Jessup's kind of thinking about uh, a capital campaign? Well, we are, we're planning something, <clears throat> excuse me, a little different than the Moore Library. They accomplished an expansion and, and they're doing a second campaign for endowment. Um, but, you know, this theme of sustainability is important to our library as well. Um, so we are planning to do expansion and endowment fundraising at the same time. Um, one thing that I haven't said enough, said enough about is our staff. Mm -hmm. um, our librarians know almost every patron. Many of them know reading preferences. They remember grandchildren's names, and they also are able to step back. And if I took a book out on how to commit the perfect murder, um, they wouldn't ask me any questions. They would just assume <laughs> that um, th my reading was my private business, and they're um, consummate professionals. Um, and, and we respect our staff. We want to create um, good working conditions for them. We want to... Um, provide a lot of programs for our patrons, and we can't do that without staff. So our largest expense is staffing. And um, we, without the staff that we have, we wouldn't have the library that we have. So our, our plan, in addition to expanding the building, will be expanding our endowment so that we are sustainable. We don't want it to... Um, hire people and say, we'll pay you this year if we can, mm. um, because that's not the way you have your employees invested in the library. That's not way, how you serve your community. And so our endowment piece will be a big part of our campaign. Um, as I said, though, our endowment did take very good care of us for a very long time. And as we 
expanded programs and expanded our staffing, our costs went up. And um, until a few years ago, well, the, the Jessup Library has never held a capital campaign in its over 100-year history. So we, we're doing a lot of groundwork right now, and we're, we're finishing up with that. But we've done a lot of self-assessments. We've figured out who we are as a board and what we should be doing. Um, we have looked at our physical plant and, and really evaluated the historic building because in addition to expanding into a new space, we have uh, a lot of maintenance that needs to be done and we want to do on our historic building. Um, so uh, we've been doing a lot of groundwork to figure out where we are, what our needs really should be, um, and through that, we've we've also done a strategic plan um, that only takes us five years out. So it's a plan that we're we're already implementing, um, and actually have have steps that need to be taken at least every quarter. Great. So we're we've kind of mapped we've created a map for ourselves that we like, and we're starting to follow it. Great. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns, and we're going to invite your comments and questions as we talk about community support for library. I'll list our phone numbers and hope that you give us a call, 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378, or locally, 469-0500. Talking about community support for libraries in the studio, you've just heard from Jill Weber describing her work with the Jessup Memorial Library. She's the vice president of the board. LaVon Bartell is um, part of the endowment campaign for the Moore Library in Stuben, and, and uh, she's joined by Keith, Keith Goldfarb, who is the treasurer of the Henry D. Moore Parish House and Library. Again, we welcome your phone calls, one 625-9378. Perhaps you've got a favorite library in your community and uh, you've got some things to share or maybe you have some questions for our guests here in the studio. So um, uh, folks from Stuben, you've got an event coming up next week to kind of um, do a little kickoff. Um, tell us the details on that. Yeah, it's it's the uh, first annual Lobster Fest. We figured if you want to attract people, offer <laughs> lobster. It's down East Maine. Um, so that's going to be on July 4th. We figured we'd celebrate uh, Independence Day and make a bigger celebration of it. And it's going to be great food and lots of other fun activities for families and quite reasonably priced. I think it's $10 for a lobster dinner. Um, so we're hoping people come out. And it's also to just celebrate the community that the library is a part of. So in addition to raising some funds and kicking off the campaign, letting people be aware of the campaign and just celebrate everything that the library stands for. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's set for July fourth. Great, and um, um, although you're not uh, ready to kick off a cap capital campaign, I know that there's an annual book sale that makes a big difference to the the Jessup Library, and I'm sure that that's part of the the trajectory for the summer is to get ready for that. There is an annual book sale, um, but let me tell you about something that uh -huh. we just tried. Uh -huh. um, we've been talking a lot about new technology, and so we tried our first online campaign. Um, we had an opportunity uh, to match some funds that we were given, and we tried doing a, an online campaign. Um, we appealed to all of the patrons, and then there was a little bit of public outreach, and it was our the amount that we were gifted was right around $6,000. And so we were saying... Uh, 6K in six days, step up for the Jessup. <laughs> and um, we exceeded our goal. 
We met the goal, I think, within four or five days and exceeded the goal. And when you say online, was that through your website? How did you, what was? That was through our website. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we had that recent new technology fundraising success, but we've also had an annual book sale um, since before I moved to Bar Harbor in 1997, and, and that is definitely old technology. Um, we have a wonderful board member, Barb Sassaman, who has been sorting, she and her troops have been sorting books since the, the book sale last year. Um, we will carry, we, we form a line <clears throat> from our basement, form a human chain from our basement up around the spiral staircase to the main floor and pass boxes of books hand to hand and um and then when the sale ends we do the same thing in reverse and you haven't sold all the books we haven't sold we haven't sold all the books that has never happened but um it could yeah and that's again the the notion of of having the um, used bookstore secondhand prose um that's where some of those books can can end up yeah on the shelves they they can they can but even the book sale is is uh is a community event, the book sale prep and cleanup, because um, I have met people in that book passing line that I would never have <laughs> met otherwise. They're fabulously interesting, and they all love the Jessup. Great. one 625 9378 As we talk about community support for local libraries, uh, give us a call with perhaps your story about how you support your local library, or perhaps you've got some questions for our, our guests. So um, as you think about um, raising money and making the, the case um, for uh, community support, um, are there are there um, questions that you get back? Why should we support the library, or, or is it a pretty easy sell? How do you imagine kind of making that case to 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 others? What's what what are some of the barriers you might feel like you have, or do you think it's going to be an easy easy sell, uh, Keith? Uh, yeah, never never an easy sell. I mean, I mean, there are those who support who 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 want to give, um, and. Uh, but there's those who maybe don't use the library currently, so it's a matter of, and that's constantly a challenge for us, is how to bring people in, because mm. um, it's surprising. You know, people live here a long time and just don't realize that we're there. Um, so how can we do a better job? Because once people come in, I think we generally get a very positive response, mm-hmm. and so that's part of the idea about our programming, is to try to attract as many different people so they can find the place and, and get excited about it. Um, but it's also a hard sell, because even those who support, it's 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 tough times, and people aren't always that comfortable about letting go of, of some assets that they feel they might need in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we're trying to do a balanced approach and, and talking about what LeVon mentioned is emphasizing, too, how you can leave us in the estate plans idea. Because then it's at that point, well, you're not going to need us anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> you're not going to need the funds anymore, I mean. So, um, so yeah, trying to think about just the various different ways that we can uh, reach out to people um, and and you get different kinds of questions. A lot of people are the a lot of the kinds of questions are more just you know just the funding. Well, where does the money go? And, sure. and so you have to just explain that. And the whole idea: well, aren't you town supported? And explaining that no, we're actually independent. Um, so it's 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 some of those kind of you know questions that you have to clear up. Um, but I think it's more a matter of just reaching out. Also, mm. a lot of people just don't think about it. And when you when you finally express to them, then yeah, you do get a positive response. But you still have to make the effort. Mm. So it's going to be a challenge. And it's also a challenge just because, I mean, we're a little different than Bar Harbor. Um, they've got different challenges. But we live in, in, in a small community that doesn't have necessarily a lot of resources. It's, when you look at statistics, it's one of the poorest regions of the state and even the country. So how do you 
pull money out of an area that doesn't have a lot of natural resources in terms of natural um, financial resources there. Um, so that is a challenge that we're looking at. Um, our goal is, is definitely uh, formidable when you look at the income level of generally people who live in town. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we're trying to we're, we're welcome all ideas on, mm-hmm. on how to be successful with that. And, and what inspires you? What um, do you do you learn from other libraries? Do you um, where do you get your kind of your connection to what, what else is happening in the world? Is that through your, your staff, um, through board members? How do you kind of get that inspiration to, to try new things? I think you get it from everyone. And even Jill talking about the web, it's like, oh, that's a bright idea. Um, and I think we do look for bright ideas from others. And we recognize that our communities have a lot of resources, both those who have lived here for many years and those who are incoming. And I think that's where a lot of the questions come from, because people come from other states where public libraries are public, and a portion of tax dollars goes directly to the library. And they're rather startled when they find out that uh, in a town like Steuben, it's a yearly request, and that uh, you know it depends on the goodwill of the people attending town meeting, which I think is quite fun uh, to see how people respond to various requests. And I think the hardest part right now is that there are so many nonprofits in such need that everybody has to sort of assess which ones represent what I want to see continue in the world. Mm. Uh, Because, uh, you know, you get calls and solicitations every day in the mail, many, many days of the week, uh, and you just have to choose what to focus on. So one of the uh, important things for uh, endowment committee members and the board to know is how to answer people's questions because you're really trying to appeal to the person's fit in time that this is what matters to me and you want to help uh, define for them is this the thing that they want to leave their money to because everybody has the right to make that choice but I think it's the lack of information that um, sometimes uh, causes the non-direction of resources. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's a lot about just answering people's question about, well, what does a library do now? Why is a community center important in your mind? If I uh, were to uh, help resource it, how would my funds be used? We are finding that some people say, well, maybe the endowment's not my uh, love, but the annual fund is more along the lines of what I want to help achieve. So those are the kinds of questions we answer all the mm-hmm. time. So it sounds like it's a it's an individual conversation, and it's kind of sorting out um, what's most important to that individual and giving them some options. So it might be the response to the relatively small six thousand dollar challenge, or it may be you know a larger gift to a capital campaign or an endowment that says I want my money to to. Uh, give for the next 100 years, not just to the, the campaign itself. 1-800-625, excuse me, one 625 We have uh, time for one or two phone calls. Um, please give us a call. Um, so what what's what's left to talk about? What uh, are the things that you're you're thinking about um, that may not have to do with capital campaigns and that sort of thing, but programmatically, um, what are you doing? I understand you had a death cafe at the Jessup Library. That's certainly an interesting concept. Well, as as LaVon was saying uh, just just now, having discussions with people, she combined kind of two taboo subjects um, in capital campaigns. We need to talk with our friends and neighbors about money and 
and their money. Um, and, uh, and when you're talking about estate planning, you're talking about death. Um, and the Death Cafe, it, it's another case where um, a community agency, the hospital, asked to use the Jessup because it is a neutral space. And um, conversations about death are, I think, maybe becoming a little bit easier. But it it's a topic that um, many people tend to avoid or they just don't know how to do it. And so the Death Cafe, is a, it's a national uh, program. Um, national model. And uh, we just provided a space where people could come. It wasn't facilitated necessarily. There were people uh, uh, facilitated in the sense uh, that there was somebody that helped get a conversation going, but there was no programmatic element. Um, And it just gave people a place to come and say what they had to say. Mm. And, um, and I I think that was the second one mm. so far. Another um, opportunity for us to uh, welcome people into the library, and 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 that speaks about the collaboration. So again, both of you have mentioned the notion that others come to the library and saying we want to use this neutral space because it is neutral. It's not connected to the school or to the town per se, um, or a church per, per se, but it's neutral space. And do you find that as well, Keith? The, the oh, oh, definitely. We yeah. have individuals who use the space both for their own private functions or just group things. Um, we have, uh, I can give you a whole bunch of examples. We also have organizations. We do have a local church that uses the first Sunday mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. We've got people who offered yoga and Zumba classes for health kind of reasons. We've had people who were involved with local political parties want to hold meetings there. We've had forums for local candidates to express their views. So in a civic way, things happen there. Um, We've had people who want to do concerts and we say, great. Um, We love all kinds of cultural things. We we have art exhibits as well. Um, We've had people who do kind of support and kind of health and welfare. We've had groups that provide that service to others, and we support them by providing the space they need. Um, we uh, have, you know, Little League and 4-H and all those kind of programs use our space to meet because a lot of these groups, they've got great programs, but they don't have the space. to. Sure. And so without that, they, they couldn't do what they, they need to do. So there's a lot of that kind of collaboration that goes on. Um, and we just try to complement that with offering some of our own programming to kind of fill the cracks. But we certainly really welcome other groups to use the space. And that is that those kind of connections are such a huge part mm. of the importance of uh, facilities like ours and Jessup's. And well, as we begin to, to wrap up, um, maybe um, each of you listing a, a hope and then any contact information, uh, kind of hope for the future. What, what do you hope will happen in your libraries and libraries all across Maine and perhaps elsewhere? But what's, what's your biggest hope? Um, Levon, how do you see this happening? And very briefly. I hope that more people participate and that uh, they come with open minds and questions. Good. Keith? Yeah, I just hope people continue to take advantage and and benefit from the the many public libraries that are in Maine because they're an incredible resource. And a a contact, you probably have a website? Yes, our website is www.morelibraryalloneword.org. And that's M-O-O-R-E, library, all one word. And Jill Weber. Well, we think of ourselves as a vibrant center for educational exchange, creative community collaboration, and knowledge sharing, where we connect people to ideas, people to information, and people to people. I think that we will be doing that into the future, and we'll 
still circulate books. Great. Thanks, Great. Ron. Well, I want to remind uh, uh, listeners that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Bond Lane House Highland music recording. Thanks once again to our guests in the studio, Keith Goldfarb and LaVon Bartel, both of the Henry D. Moore Parish House and Library in Stuben, and Jill Weber of the Jessup Memorial Library in Bar Harbor. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Thank you.